0: Let's read from the Gospel of Mark. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is God's word for us today. Our first point for today is that Jesus brings the kingdom of God. We don't go and find this kingdom. Jesus brings it to us. Our local PBS television station when I was growing up used to do a week of fundraising every year. They had a whole week where they canceled all their other programming and they just did fundraising. And they had all kinds of different strategies. And I think every day they had what they called matching funds hour. They'd line up this big donor who would match every dollar that was given for that hour. And often they'd have kind of a threshold. You'd have to get above $5,000 and then the donor would match up to $10,000. So at the beginning of that hour, one of the announcers would come and they'd get right up to the camera and say, We're beginning our matching funds hour now. If you give in this hour, your gift will be automatically doubled. So let's, let's all do this together. If you've been thinking about calling, call right now. And as long as we get to $5,000, your gift will be doubled. And then they'd go on and on and partway through the the hour that announcer would come back and say, all right, we're 23 minutes in and we have $3,500, only $1,500 left to go. Call right now. If you've been thinking about calling, don't delay. Call right now. And then toward the end of the hour, he'd come on again and say, hey, we're at $8,000. Our donor is going to match every single dollar. You're guaranteed if you put money in, it'll double. Call right now. Help us make this the best matching funds hour we've ever had. Now at the time of Jesus, it seemed like God's people thought that the coming of God's kingdom was a matching funds deal. It seemed like they thought, yeah, God would come and he would finish things up. But in order for God to come, they had to store up a certain amount of spiritual treasure. They had to obey enough. They had to be righteous enough as individuals and as a whole people. And if they put enough in... If they somehow got to that magic number, then God would come and he would bring his kingdom and he would bless them. But in the Gospel of Mark, that's not how God's kingdom comes. The kingdom of God is not a matching funds proposition. It's a gift. We don't earn this. We can't pay for it. Jesus comes and he brings God's kingdom out of his grace, not because we do enough. Jesus always comes to us first. One way we can see that in this text is that Jesus goes out and he invites people to be his disciples. The common way in those days was for students to go and seek out a teacher and ask if they could follow him. It was really unheard of, unusual for a teacher, for someone to go out and say, hey, follow me. But Jesus doesn't wait for the disciples to come in. He goes out, To where they are. He goes out to meet them where they live and he invites them to follow him. And for us too, Jesus takes the first step. Before we go to God, God comes to us. God always takes the initiative. Our Christian faith is not a matching fun drive where we have to get enough stored up so that God will come. Our Christian faith is a gift that God gives to us out of his grace and his love. When Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is near, he's announcing the good news that God has come to us. And that brings us to our second point for today. This point is about where the kingdom is. And I think the kingdom is where God reigns. Now God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, can be kind of a hard concept to nail down. With our country, it's fairly easy. You could draw on a map where the United States of America is. You could go to the border and you could step out and be out of the United States, step back in and be in the United States. And you could talk about the people who live here. You could talk about the government. There's all these obvious physical things that you can point at and say, that is the country of the United States of America. The kingdom of God isn't quite like that. It's harder for us to say, here's the boundary, here's the border. This is in and this is out. The kingdom of God is a little bit hard to define and people spend all kinds of energy trying to do it. But let me give it a shot this morning. I think the best definition of God's kingdom is the realm of God's effective reign. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's effective reign. The kingdom of God is where God's will is done. The kingdom of God is wherever people obey and follow the Lord. The kingdom of God is where God truly reigns, where things are where he made them to be and how he wants them to be. The kingdom of God is where everything is right. And that means that for us, the kingdom of God is home. The kingdom of God is where we belong. The kingdom of God is where things are right. I think all of us somewhere deep down have this longing to be part of the kingdom. I don't think we usually put that name on it. But I think all of us sometimes or all the time have this deep sense that we want something more. We have this picture of what life is supposed to be like, and it isn't that. We have these different things that we want that we're restless for. I wonder if you ever lay awake at night and feel like, boy, if only I had this or that, my life would be complete. Do you ever feel not quite settled? Not quite at home? Like your life just isn't what you want it to be? There's a lot of things in this world that we want, but I think the real answer to the desires of our heart is in the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes and he brings us the kingdom, he brings us what we've always been looking for, what we've always been longing for so, so deeply, even if we didn't realize it. The only place where our deepest longings are met is in the kingdom that Jesus brings us, where the Lord reigns, where things are right, where we belong, where our true home is. Nowhere except the kingdom of God, where God reigns, where his will is done, nowhere except there can we really be at home forever. But of course, we all live in all kinds of other kingdoms. We live under the reign of all kinds of other forces And so after Jesus has come, after he says the kingdom has come, he calls us to turn away from those other kingdoms. And in fact, we need to repent and believe in order to enter the kingdom of God. And the word repent there has all kinds of fire and brimstone connotations. But what the word really basically means is to turn. To repent means to turn, to reverse course, to turn away from something. And so when Jesus calls us to repent, what he's calling us to is to turn away from other kingdoms and to turn toward him. And if we're honest, we're all busy trying to make our own kingdoms. We're all busy trying to be kings and queens. We're all busy trying to broaden the realm in our lives where we reign. All of us want more and more to have control over our lives. To have some part of our lives where our will is done. When I was in elementary school, my parents had a series of Volvo station wagons, and they were the ones with three rows of seats. So they had the front row, the middle row, and then a fold-up back seat. And often we carpooled, so we'd end up with four or five or six kids in these cars on the way to school. And we would all develop our own little kingdoms in those seats, man. There was a line on the seat, and heaven help you if you cross that line. But of course, as kids always do, all of us would cross those lines. We'd sort of shift our elbows out little bit by little bit. If you were in the middle especially, you could lean one way, but you had to keep your elbow out this way because the guy from over there was coming. Or you'd pick a different line on the seat from last time. This morning the line was here, but you'd move it over three inches and you'd lay claim to that much fabric on the seat and all the airspace above it. And then sometimes we'd trade toys, and you'd always be trying to mess with someone else and get a better deal. You'd say, I'll give you two for one, but you'd forget to mention the two cars you were going to give them didn't have any wheels. I still remember the great fleecing of 89 when my buddy and I managed to convince the whole middle row to give us all of their race cars in exchange for a beat-up school bus and a tow truck without any tires. It was great, but then our alliance broke up over the question of who got the blue car and who got the yellow car, and things got pretty nasty. The wars of childhood are brief, but they are intense. Now, honestly, all of that sounds kind of silly now. Us elementary schoolers fighting over whether our kingdom was going to be 15 inches or 18 inches. And regardless, the kingdom was only going to last 10 minutes before we got to school. It all sounds silly now. But in eternal perspective, we adults are still doing the same thing. We're so often self-absorbed and self-centered. We're so often grabbing after just a little bit more, just a little bit more. We keep trying to make our kingdoms just a little bit bigger. But all of this grabbing and grasping is as useless as drawing a new line on the back seat of the bench car in the Volvo. It just doesn't get us anywhere. And if we're going to really live... If we're going to find what we really deeply desire, we're going to have to give up on that. We're going to have to turn away. We're going to have to repent of trying to live in our own kingdoms and seek the kingdom of God. And the good news of the kingdom is that we've already been given everything we need in Jesus. Everything we need is already ours in Jesus Christ. But the thing of it is that to really follow Jesus is To really enter the kingdom of God, we need to leave the world behind. To really follow Jesus, we need to leave everything else behind. The Gospel of Mark. Over and over again in this book, the Gospel is proclaimed. The good news is sent out in the midst of suffering and adversity. Our text for today began with that little phrase, When John the Baptist was in prison, or after John the Baptist was put into prison... And if you know the story of John the Baptist, you know his imprisonment ended with his execution. And that's the trajectory that Jesus' ministry is headed on. He will suffer and he will die. And that's the trajectory that these disciples who were called, how their lives all went. They suffered and they died for the good news. The pattern of the gospel in this world is commitment and cost. It always costs us something. When Jesus calls the disciples in these verses, Mark tells us immediately, right away, without delay, they dropped their nets and they followed him. James and John even left their father behind in the boat and they went after Jesus. Now, it does seem like the disciples still had a relationship with their families later. Some of them went back to fishing. So it wasn't a total break. It wasn't a total bridge burning. But it was a bigger deal than I think we really understand. In ancient cultures, you got your identity and your value from the family, In the ancient culture, the worst thing you could do was not take care of your parents. And yet Jesus comes to these guys who are working with their father and he says, prioritize me over him. Jesus comes and he says, turn your values upside down, leave everything else and come after me. In the children's message this morning, I talked about some people in Africa who wanted a new place to live. They needed farmland. Their families were hungry and they didn't know where to go. And they ended up finding a place by us. And they were thrilled to be there. The benefits far outweighed the cost. But there are a lot of other stories of people there where it wasn't so clear that the benefit outweighed the cost. I could tell you any number of stories, but let me tell you about Luca. Luca was a guy who helped me out around the house a bit. And he was maybe, maybe 20 or so. But people didn't really keep track of ages, so no one knew how old they were there. But as a kid, he started following Christians around. And this was in a very, very non-Christian area. As a kid, he started following Christians around. He was kind of interested in these people who'd come from somewhere else to tell the good news of this Jesus person. And that was fine with his family. It was okay. He could hang out with them. He could go places, whatever. But as he started to get more serious as he started to kind of show signs that maybe he was going to convert and follow Jesus, his family came and they had a little talk with him. And they said to him, Luca, you belong to us. You belong to us. You belong to our gods. You belong to our ancestors. You belong to our village. This is non-negotiable. And if you choose to follow this Jesus that those people are talking about, that is rejecting us. You make that choice, you are out. You make that choice, you might not wake up the next morning. Don't do it. And so for years, Luca went back and forth. He hung out with the Christians, but he couldn't make that commitment. And the day he decided to make that commitment, the day he decided to embrace the gift that Jesus brings, he ran away from home in the middle of the night because he wasn't sure he would see the next morning if he stayed. And he ran off and he found a place to live with an older Christian. After a while, he came to the Bible school because he wanted to share the good news of Jesus with other people. But he had to give up everything. Absolutely everything. But Christ was worth it. We may have to give up a little. Or we may have to give up everything. But if we're going to follow Jesus, that means choosing to follow him and to put everything else behind us. Jesus doesn't come to us and say, a few of you really need to be radical, and the rest of you can kind of just be along for the ride. Jesus comes to us and he says, if you're going to follow me, you have to be all in. You're all in, or you're not. Now let me ask you a question that haunts me all the time these days, and may it haunt you too, so I'm not the only one being haunted. But this question, are we really willing to do anything that would jeopardize our own happiness? Are we really willing to make any kind of sacrifice that could possibly interfere with our own comfort, with our own convenience? Are we really willing to pay any price that would disturb our lives to follow Jesus? In Africa, when I listened to Luca and other converts and they would tell me these stories, I would always think, wow, I am a wimp. I'm not sure I could do that. I'm not sure I could make that choice. And you know, God doesn't call all of us to pay the same price. He doesn't put all of us in the same situation. But he does equip us to whatever he calls us to. Maybe God will someday call you to give up just about everything and move halfway around the world. Or maybe God will call you to stay right where you are. To live the life you're living, but to live it more and more for Him. To more and more intentionally share the gifts you've been given with other people. To more and more intentionally spread the good news of Jesus Christ even right where you live. There is always a price to pay. But whatever we pay... Whatever you are called to give up for Jesus, you will find that it's worth it. God always gives us much, much more than we give him. Jesus calls us to follow because he leads us home. Jesus calls us to follow because he's already paid the ultimate price for us. Jesus calls us to follow because we belong to him. And that is the only true hope and the only true comfort. We may have to give up many, many things to follow the Lord. But in the, in the picture of eternity, everything we give up is like nothing. One last point for today. Following Jesus means spreading the good news. If we follow Jesus, we're called to be fishers of men If we're given this great gift, the natural thing to do is to run around and tell other people about it. We talked about that a little bit in the children's message, right? That man who found a farm where he could come and feed his family. He didn't just come there by himself. He ran off and he told his brother and he told his cousin and he told his dad and he told his uncle. And he told everyone he knew where they could find a place to belong. And they all came together. If we find a place where we have everything that we need, and it's a gift, it's given to us for free, it just makes sense that we would want to tell other people about it, right? It just makes sense that if we believe the good news about Jesus, that we would want to share it with other people. Now, as I say that, I know that even though that just makes sense, it's often really, really hard for us. And I include myself in the number of people who really wonder, how do we tell the good news in this time, in this place, in a way that makes sense, in a way that's attractive? We don't want to be a stink for other people. We don't want to be the one who everyone sees coming and rolls their eyes and just walks away because we, they don't want to hear that same old song again. This is a hard place to share the good news. To be honest with you, when I was in Africa, it was a lot easier to share the gospel because people knew they needed something. And often our neighbors here, the people we run into at work, often their lives are good enough that they don't think they need anything. They think they're good enough on their own. They're happy with their own kingdom that they've constructed. And they don't need any more good news, thanks. They're covered. This is a hard thing for us to do but it's something that we're called to do. And let me suggest a couple steps to help us on this journey of becoming fishers of men. First, I invite you to ask yourself, and to go to God in prayer and to ask him to show you, what do you really value? What really matters to you? And then if it's necessary, and my guess would be for all of us it will be necessary, then ask God to transform your values. If what you really value is being comfortable, if what you really value is the next bigger house or the vacation home or the new car, or if what you value is anything beside the kingdom of God, then ask God to transform you. Ask God to awaken or reawaken in you this truth, this deep, deep reality that the kingdom of God is the only place that we can really belong, that the kingdom of God is worth giving everything else up for. Jesus didn't come to those men and tell them, hey, go out and make disciples. Go out and be fishers of men. That's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is come, come, come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. So we can begin with that prayer that the Lord would work in us to enable us to follow him and to share the good news. And second, let's come back to our first point from today. Jesus brings us the kingdom of God. The story that I told earlier was a little bit misleading because it had someone running around looking for a place to live and finally they found the right place. And that's not how God works. God doesn't wait for us to show up at his doorstep and ask. God comes to us even when we couldn't go to him. And he doesn't make us buy or earn or pay our way into the kingdom. It's all a gift. And what's more, Jesus doesn't ask us to pay any price he hasn't already paid. When Jesus came to James and John and he told them to leave their father behind and follow him, he was only calling them to do what he had already done. From all eternity, Jesus existed in perfect unity, perfect joy, and perfect love with God the Father. There was nothing more he could have asked for. And yet he put that comfort, he put all of that aside to come and to be with us. Jesus came and he became one of us with all our struggles except for sinfulness. But he came and he lived a life among us To bring us to be with him. So free, so infinite with Jesus' grace that he came to us. Jesus left everything behind to follow us. Let's leave everything behind to follow him. This morning, repent. Believe the good news. Follow the Lord who reigns over all things.